Thank you, sweetheart. How many is ready for the Word of God? Praise God. I'll tell you, this weekend, I did a two-day women's conference in Lake Havasu, and I preached Friday night, Saturday morning, and I'm going to tell you, faith builders went with me. The power of God was so amazing. We had over 20 women speak in tongues and get filled with the Holy Spirit. At least about 30 answered the altar call. We had some teenagers, and we had one woman. She came to me, and, uh, you know, I was telling our team today this morning that you never know the power of your touch that you really carry the anointing of God in your hands. And, uh, and, and it isn't always we're going to feel a surge come out of our hands. There's times where we just touch someone and the power of God goes into them. And this lady came to me after the service, and I was just so blessed that she shared her testimony with me. She said, when you laid hands on me Friday night, I guess I laid hands on her chest, she said she felt the air in her just kind of lock up. And she thought, oh, I, I probably need my inhaler because she's asthmatic. She said, but as soon as you pulled my hands away, you pulled something right off of my chest. And I was like, oh, well, praise God. She goes, it literally grabbed my throat and I couldn't breathe. And I said, well, do you know what it was? And she said, well, the only thing I could think of, and this was Saturday morning afterwards, Saturday afternoon, um, she said, uh, I have anxiety during worship. And so that, that spirit was trying to keep her from her worship. And she said Saturday morning she worshiped all morning free. She didn't have one anxiety attack. And who knew a touch, a touch at an all. That's why when I laid hands today, so intentional as our team lays hands, is that you never know that moment of the touch, how it's going to set someone free. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'm going to start, uh, I have a message this morning. I've been doing little, little messages. I think we might be wrapping up the one on the supernatural today. But I'm going to talk to you on the heart of worship. And I really loved this moment at the altar that we had uh, of uh, Maya. I'm so proud of her today. Proud of, proud of the whole team. Tracy, we have Alex back today. I mean, I was just so proud of them stepping into this moment of courage and really letting the sound of God come out of them. And we're going to see a lot, lot more of that. And it really set the atmosphere of worship in this house. And you can see the power of worship, how it brings in and ushers the presence of God for miracles. You know, so I really want us to open up today as I share the word of God of the importance of worship in our life. And not just here at this altar, but worship in our life privately. Because when we're worshiping privately, we will have more power and authority when we worship publicly. Because I'm not trying to find God just in the public. I'm finding him privately. Amen. So I really want to release this over you. And I know all of us love God and we probably worship God. But I'm talking about being intentional in worship in this season. We've talked about the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Being intentional of praying in the Holy Spirit. We talked about angels and, and being aware of the power of angels that are in our life. And we talked about what else? the anointing of God last week. You know, the importance of anointing. And so this is just just another piece of it of our heart of worship and everywhere we're seeing right now and it's a little later in my notes but this uh, worship that's happening in these universities you know I touched on it last week and and now Asbury who had revival Asbury University had revival in 1970 and now they're experiencing it once again and there's another place a lot of the places that we're seeing these uprising another one in Texas have been places where there's been prior revival and it's like God is redigging the wells of his anointing. 
And I know Faith Builders is part of that well. God's going to redig the well and the promises and the prophetic words that have been spoken. So many words over this church you don't even, probably haven't even heard yet. And God is going to redig the places that the enemy has tried to pour sand in God's power. Amen. So we want to come into worship, and we know worship is many things. It's the lifting of hands. It can be bringing gifts to God. It's kneeling. It's responding to the altar calls. But what I want to talk about is not just worship from the mind, but worship from the heart. Because we come into a worship setting, and even at home, I can get in this legalistic ritual way of worshiping God. But I'm talking about worship that we're literally stepping back, and we're kneeling, you know, in our homes or getting quiet before the Lord and worshiping from our soul. You know, it's one thing to sing a worship song, and it's another thing to sing a song from your heart. And that's the part of worship God is really looking for. And that's why when you all came to the altars and you responded, it was more than just singing the song. You responded with that act of worship. I'm getting out of my flesh and my comfort zone, and I'm going to respond to the anointing of God. And I'm putting together a message right now. It's going to take me a few weeks. But God gave me a word to teach a message on idols and altars. Because there are idols being erected all over the United States. I'm talking about literal idols that the world, and I want you to recognize that they are demonic idols of the Old Testament. The enemy knows exactly what he's doing right now. But the Lord told me we need to make the altar sacred so we can tear down the idols. I'm so excited about teaching that. Because there's something about coming to the altar of God. And not listen, if you didn't respond coming, you know what I'm saying. But making your home an altar, making your place, even in your car can be a place of altar where you're just getting quiet before the Lord. It doesn't have to be religious in this setting. Although when we're here, wow, praise God, there's a powerful move of God. So we're not talking about routine and systematic. I'm talking about being an overwhelmed gratitude to God in this hour. I had, I turned on this Asbury Revival, and, and of course, they're popping up every right, right now. This Generation Z, it's hitting them. And it's, I'm so happy that they're not letting famous people take it over. Famous worship leaders, Carrie Joby went and sat in the back. Brandon Lake went, sat in the back, because they just wanted to get in the room. And this generation is inspiring us leaders that, wow, we can strip away all the bells and whistles and really just let true worship come from our hearts. And we've been talking about that, but wow, to actually see the young people doing it, like it's just, and I know people are critical. Listen, everybody, there's a saying I learned as a leader, what the mind doesn't understand, it'll criticize. So, you know, don't let social media be your platform platform of information, okay? Just don't. Because there'll be people who are going to shoot it down. They need to be doing this and they need to be doing that. Every church should be doing this. You know what? We follow God. We follow the Holy Spirit's leading, you know. And um, my thing is, if it was all flesh, so what? Yeah, let's just say the benefit, oh, that's all carnal. and they, Well, so what? You've got thousands of people coming to the house of God to worship. Even if it is all flesh, people are being mindful of worshiping God. And it reminded me when I first started watching it of the upper room. Jesus left them and said, go and wait. They tarried 120 days in probably a room that looked very similar to that sanctuary. Probably a lot smaller, actually. What do you think they were doing for 120 days? They were worshiping. You know, you'll see some videos where there's people at the altars crying and being touched by God. And in the balcony, a couple people are talking softly. You think that didn't happen in the upper room? Oh, well, there's so much flesh there. We don't know what God is doing. 
we are flesh nature. So there's going to be a little flesh in every move of God, and that's okay. I'm sure in the upper room, people fought. They probably got mad at each other, right? But they worshiped. They probably shared the law. What were they doing while they were worshiping? Waiting for the move of the Holy Spirit. So let's allow worship because we're waiting. It may not be full-blown revival, but worship is a part of bringing in waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit. Because we've been talking about this manifestation of the Holy Spirit coming, amen. So if we can get our hearts in worship, we'll be prepared for what God's about to do, amen. So my number one point this morning is when we worship, you're going to pour out to God. There's a pouring out to God. Maybe in this corporate setting, it's not always comfortable. I believe when the Holy Spirit really comes in a movement, you'll have no problem weeping at the altar. You'll have no problem repenting in the back of the room because they're going to be, but worship isn't just singing the song. You have to understand that. Worship is I'm pouring out to God everything that's in me. My lowly places, my frustration, my God, where are you? It's just being real in the presence of God. You know, God is looking for us to be real. He already knows what's in the seat of your affections. He already knows what you're carrying and the burdens of the world and life. He already knows that and he's looking for you in that reverent moment where you're just pouring out to him. So you're giving out what you're carrying and you're giving it to the Lord. It's like taking it and laying it at his feet and say, God, I'm not going to carry the burden anymore. Through my worship, I'm going to pour it out to you. Amen? And that's when you're happy and when you're not happy. We think, well, I, you know, I got to be in a mood for worship. No, 99% of the time I'm not in the mood to worship. Don't judge me. You know you all feel the same way. Don't be holier than thou. Netflix sounds really good than turning off TV and worshiping God. I mean, let's just be real. But when you do, there's an unction of the Holy Spirit coming in this hour, that still small voice where God is calling us. And so I was watching this beautiful, I was just worshiping with him. I'm like, I'm just going to worship God. I felt the presence of God coming in my home, in my home. I turned it off and I just knelt in my couch and I worshiped. God's presence filled, filled my house, and I will be honest with you. I have not felt that tangible, beautiful presence of God in a while. It's almost like the church, we've been wandering through the wilderness for a little while, haven't we? We've been walking by faith, and we're being faithful, but I felt in my living room this overwhelming, beautiful, and I kept saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I mean, I couldn't even, I had no request in mind. I wanted nothing of my own. I just kept thanking him because I needed that moment of his presence in my life. And I said, God, if you're doing it for me in my living room, you're about to hit everybody's houses. You're about to come with this overwhelm. How many want the presence of God? I'm talking about the true worship presence of God. There is a pouring out coming of the Holy Spirit, but God wants us to pour out to him. So let's look at Psalms 142 verse 2. This is David, and he's talking about a very low point in his time. And I don't want to focus just in low points, but I think it's the hardest time to come to God and worship when we are feeling low, when we're wondering why isn't the miracle and why aren't we seeing revival and all these questions that we have. And this is where David was at. And he said, I pour out before him my complaint. 
You see, David knew how to worship God, and he had these complaints. He had these things on the inside of him, that, and you'll read Psalms, and you know he struggled with enemies, and he struggled with where was God, but he took that moment of worship to pour out. It means to, um, out of the seat of your affections. It means out of your heart, I need to tell God some things that I'm going through. I need to get real with God, and that's why when we open up the altars, let that be a pouring out, and it says, I pour out to him. So many times, and we should, because I believe in community, we, we should pray for one another, and, you know, we should make that phone call a prayer, but sometimes God's like saying, I want you to phone call me. I want you to give your complaint to me, because I am the one that as you pour out, I will pour in. But if we're just calling and we're just kind of complaining and frustrated with our life, there's no outpouring to God and no pouring in from the Holy Spirit. And guess what happens? The world keeps pouring in us. Keeps pouring. And all of a sudden we're carrying the weights and the burdens and we're frustrated. We've grown weary. We want to quit because we haven't remembered to pour out to God. He said, I poured out. That word also means I shed. Some of you need to shed things to God. You just need to take the coat off and say, belongs to you, God. My kids, I'm taking that coat off, belongs to you. Finances, marriage, belongs to you. I'm shedding off the anxieties of life, and I'm going to pour them out to you, amen? And it goes on to say, before him, I tell my troubles. I cry out to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. See, he knew his God. And that word, verse 5 says, I cry out. It means to call on an aid. So when you're worshiping God and you're pouring out to him, you're literally calling on the one to come alongside of you and aid you in the situation that you're going through. The Holy Spirit comes. We know angels comes. And when you cry out, you're proclaiming the word of God in your life. You're literally opening up and pouring out to the presence of God. And he has ears to hear you in this hour. If there are reoccurring troubles, if there's reoccurring emotions and struggles, it's time for you to stop, put life on pause, and begin to worship God. Begin to proclaim to God your life. Let's look at Psalm 62.8. It says, trust in him at all times, you people. Doesn't sound very nice. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Yeah, so even when a song is playing, whether at home or here or no music on, let your heart begin to pour out to him. Tell him how wonderful he is. And I'll give you a couple points today. Tell him how thankful you are. Tell him how great you are. Tell him about the precious promises of God's word. Begin to pour out this beautiful heart of affirmation to God. Why? Because he is my refuge. So when you're worshiping God, when you're not worshiping God, you're out in the world and you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable to every tactic of the enemy. But when you begin to worship God, he brings you into this safe place. The Bible calls it a refuge. And a refuge is a place where no one can touch you. You're literally coming into his safety and his protection. And when you begin to worship, you begin to realize he's your refuge. Without worship, you don't remember he's the one who takes care of you. Without worship, you don't know the one that he's the miracle maker. Right, but when you begin to worship, it shifts some things in your heart, and you're like, he is the great I am. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the healer of my soul. He is my lover. He does make a way in the wilderness. He is a lamp unto my feet. God begins through worship to remind you the protection of the word of God in your life. 
so amazing. Do you know that there are six Levitical cities? I didn't know this till I started studying last night, this part of it. But there was, there's six Levitical cities that literally were places of refuge in Bible days. And if you accidentally killed someone, I don't know how that happens. I'm sure a lot of people are like, it was an accident. I don't know how that stone flew out of my hand. But if you accidentally killed someone, you could seek asylum in these six different cities and no one could touch you. No one could accuse you. Nobody could put you in jail. It was a place of refuge. That's how we are with Christ. When you come into worship, the enemy can't bring accusations to you. He can't bring the past to you. He can't come and kill and destroy you. Why? Because I'm in a refuge place. I'm in a place of protection. Amen. No one can touch me when I'm in worship. Amen. And then you come out and you still carry that protection, but you're reminded now of the refuge place of God. God is that safe place. And when you realize he's a safe place, you don't mind pouring out to him. You ever get around somebody that all of a sudden you just start puking your whole life? You're like, I don't even know why I'm telling you all that stuff. You ever done that? I, a lot of people come to me and tell me the whole life story. Oh, I don't even know why I said that. They felt safe. See, when you feel safe, you can be vulnerable. Why? Because I know that what I'm sharing with you, you have the ability maybe to help me. Or you'll keep that safe. You won't be, you know, you won't be disloyal to me or not protect me. It's a beautiful place. So all of us find a safe place with someone, don't we? Your children find a safe place with you. You know, there could be a, a thunderstorm out, you know, here in Arizona. And your kids could be scared, all terrified. And they come in the room with you and they feel so safe. Not knowing you're in the same storm as them. But they don't realize that because they come around the parents because the parents are the place of refuge. They're a safe place, and that's how we need to be with God. He is my safe place, amen. And when I know that, what do I want to do? I want to pour out to him. I want to tell him what's going on in my life. So let's look at Luke chapter 7, and we're going to talk about this lady that we've all heard about, but I want to break down some of her story. It says in Luke 7 verse 36, was the woman with the alabaster box. Then one of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. So Jesus is sitting in the home of a Pharisee. While he's sitting there, behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, say a sinner, when she knew Jesus was at the table. Now I want you to see something here. The religious leaders, they have an agenda with Jesus. But this woman said, I knew he was at that table in the house, and I've got to get in the room. I'm a sinner. I'm not worthy to get there. I'm not worthy. I'm a woman. I'm not able to get in that room. But I know he's in that room, and I've got to get there. See, there's something when you know Jesus is there. When you know Jesus is going to be here at Faith Builders on Sunday morning, I've got to get in the room. I got to get where the Holy Spirit is. I got to get where worship is because I'm struggling. I'm not getting in the room because I'm perfect and happy. I'm going to show up when I'm miserable and I want to quit and not be there. Why? Because Jesus is at the table. That's what gets us in the house of God. That's what gets us here on prayer nights. That's what keeps us being faithful to God is because I know he's in the room and I need a miracle. And she didn't care that she was a sinner. Listen, you're never going to feel perfect to God. You're never going to feel worthy to be sitting in the same room as Jesus. But it's in that worship that he welcomes you and he heals you and he forgives you of all of your sins. Amen? 
shows his love to you. So there was a sinner. She knew Jesus was at the table in the Pharisee's house. And what did she do? She brought an alabaster flax of fragrant oil. She had something that she wanted to pour out to Jesus. Something that was valuable to her. And whatever she was going through in her life, that didn't matter anymore. This thing that was so valuable and important and how, however much it cost her or however the way that she got it, it meant nothing to her. She said, I just got to get in the presence of God. And I'm willing to take the thing that is so valuable that I've made as an idol in my life and I've made as important and I want to give it to Jesus and I want to break it and I need to pour it out because that thing doesn't bring me joy anymore. That thing doesn't bring me peace. That thing doesn't make me happy anymore. I want to take those things and break them at his feet. Some things that we're hanging on to. And God's like, bring them to me. Bring them to me in worship. So verse 38, and she stood at his feet behind him worshiping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears. What was she doing? She's pouring out. She washed, wiped them with her hair, the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. What was she doing? She was pouring out to him. See, when you know Jesus is there, you just want to give him it all. And what was so beautiful about her worship is everyone in the room got to experience the fragrance of her worship. When you come worshiping, when you worship at your home, your house is flooded with the presence of God. Your children show, show up from school and they're like, well, what's different about our house today? Children can sense that they will know the aroma of worship in your home. I remember when my parents first got saved, you know, I was before Christ and after Christ. I was only five or six. And my parents got saved and their marriage was restored and we moved back together again. And uh, I remember walking through my house and I was like, what is different? Something was different. I kept looking at the furniture. I'm little. I kept looking at the, I went from room to room. Not the, everything was the same. And I couldn't put my finger on it. It was like this beautiful presence was in our home, and I couldn't put my finger on it. And then I got older. I remember, oh, Jesus came in our home. Worship was in my home. If there's chaos and confusion, let worship come in your home. Sometimes I'll just leave preaching on. My dog used to watch um, cooking show, but he needs a little bit of Jesus. So we started watching the Jesus channel. But you make your home a place, that altar, you make that, your, that fragrance will be in that home. And every guest that comes in your house, there'll be something different. Amen. This is a place of worship. People come on this property. We're so familiar with the anointing, but people come in, they begin to weep at the presence of God. Why? Because there was a pouring out in the house. Amen. So in between those verses, no, excuse me, let's look at verse 39. Now, when the Pharisees who had invited him... Jesus saw this. This Pharisee spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. See, religious people, religion doesn't like freedom. Religion doesn't want to let go of systems and procedures. Religion wants to put Jesus, I invited you, Jesus, to my house for a reason. And you're being distracted by something that's not, that's not according to my plan. And that's what religion wants to do with true worship. Well, we should do this song, that song, this song. We should sing it this way, this loud, not that loud. And we put God, Jesus, in this little cute box. 
and Asbury and everything else rising up is showing us that is not true. Jesus does not want to be put in a perfect little box. He's looking for a heart of worship. Amen. And so Jesus then began, gave a parable to him about forgiveness. But let's look at verse 44. Then he turned to the woman. I love this. He turned to the woman and he said to Simon. I love that. He's looking at her with compassion. You matter. But he was talking to Simon. He said, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. What was he saying? I came in the room, but you didn't worship me. I came in the room, but you didn't pour out to me. See, we can come into church structure and be so you well, geez, Pastor, why it's 1030. You know, like, it's going to get late today. I have, you know, I'm talking about human nature. You know what I'm talking about. We get Jesus and we, we, we don't really give him true worship. We don't pour out anointing on his head. We don't pour out our love and our affection. We don't anoint his feet. We don't take time to sit at his feet and hear what he has to say and dwell in his presence. The miracle worker, way maker. We're like, let's just get this done. There's no worship. Jesus is looking for true worship in this hour. From the heart. It may not even sound good. It may not even look pretty, but it's true worship. Something I've learned, too, is true worship comes from the most broken moments of my life. The, the time when I realized, God, where are you? With this event we went to, uh, this lady did uh, the potter's wheel. And uh, she actually did the clay and sat down. It was pretty cool. And she began to describe things. And uh, what happened was she took the clay and she put water on the, um, do we know what we're doing here? I don't know what we're doing. If you're going to do it, do it really quick. Okay. All right. Praise God. All right. Father, we thank you for our little ones in the name of Jesus. Bless them, God, and bless their offerings and their outpouring. Thank you so much. It's so beautiful. Look at those little cute ones. I'm like, I want to preach, so all right, come on, you cutie pies. So lovely. I love it so much. Where was I at, y'all? Oh, so this weekend, really quick. So they took clay, and they um, and she wet the bottom of the what? What's it called? The wheel. So she wet it, and she goes, "Oh, wait a minute! It's not supposed to be wet." So she dried it off, and she said, "It's supposed to be dry." And she took this clay, and she began to press this clay down, and and it hit me. She she said, "It has to be dry because the clay has to stick." And my spirit was like, oh, we underestimate the dry places of our walk with God. We think we're away from God when we feel dry. And he's like, no, that's when I put you on the wheel. 
I'm going to take the dry places. You're going to stick to me. And then I'm going to take the anointing and I'm going to start moving you. And I'm going to start. But he has to press you a little bit. I'm like, man, she, Jenny, she had to press and we feel it. And she, has to, she had to get all the bubbles out of it. The, the, she had to begin to mold it and make it. And she even said it's never, ever perfectly perfect. But she began to shape that thing and shape that thing and shape something. And even after it was foreign, I'm like, oh, that's a beautiful bowl. She made this beautiful bowl. And she said, but you can't touch it yet because it still has to dry out. And we're like, God, get me through this season, God. Pour out your anointing, God. I don't know if I can worship because I'm not feeling you. I'm not loving you. You feel 5,000 miles away. And God's like, I'm just letting you dry out. Because if I poured out before you were ready, you're going to continue to be in the drying out process. See, when more water keeps coming, it makes it soft and pliable. But there's times where God loves you're going to walk by faith. You're going to worship me by faith. You're going to show up by faith because I'm doing a work that is bigger than you could ever imagine. And when you're dry and ready, guess what? You're going to go into the fire. I don't want the fire, God. I want the fire of the Holy Ghost, but don't put me in the fire. Don't burn things off of me. But when you're in the fire, he's putting all that together. And Elder Mike can probably share it better. But it makes it solid. And when it comes out of the fire, it's ready for the maker's use. But so many of us want to rush the process. I want to be the bull. I want to shine. I want to be used for God's glory. He's like, you're not ready. You'll break. You'll break under this pressure. And I'm going to have to start all over with you. That's why some of us have been around that merry-go-round and around that merry-go-round because we're not allowing the process of God. And the only way you can get through the process is worship. Well, it's one of them, but that's what I'm talking about today. The Word of God is so obviously important. But worship is the pouring out. Worship is the trusting God. All that I am, I'm giving to you, God. I'm laying it at your feet today. It's a true expression of my love for the Father. I'm going to pour it out. Amen. And what did she do? She pressed through that moment. She pressed through fear and rejection. She pressed through prejudices and shame. What do you have to press through in your worship? Press through. Amen. And you may get in worship and it's like five minutes long and you're like, I, I am bored out of my mind. Show up again the next day. Show up again the next day. And you watch the presence of God will begin to fall on you. And you'll be refreshed. You'll be renewed. You've got to push through sometimes those things. Amen. She had a guilty verdict, but she showed up to Jesus anyway. So God loves to be worshipped. He's a jealous God, and he loves our worship. Amen? But he is our refuge. So really quick, as you pour out your heart, i got just a couple minutes. Number one, remember God's faithfulness in the past. As you begin to pour out to God, there's something that should come up in you that God did that for me then, and he can surely do it for me now. If you look at Psalms 42, it says, My tears have been my food day and night. He's been, oh, this is David again. Poor David. He was so emotional. Well, people say to me, people say to me all day long, where is your God? Has anybody ever felt like that? Where are you, God? I've been going through this, and I've been faithful, and you're not meeting my need, and you're not showing up, and there's no miracles. David said, they were saying, where is your God? In verse 4, David said these, these things I remember. 
as I pour out of my soul. So as you're pouring out to God, I'm going to remember the goodness of God. I'm not going to stay in my brokenness as I pour out, but I'm going to remember where God brought me from. He said, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one. I had shouts of joy and praise among the festivities. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why are you disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Do you see how he was wrestling with himself? Why are you depressed, Barb? Why are you overwhelmed? Why are you wringing your hands? Why are you so downcast? When God delivered you from other things, he will surely deliver you from this. And you look back, and every one of us have a testimony somewhere. Every one of us can look back that God was faithful. I remember when I was 17 years old and God was trying to capture my heart. And I found myself in the back of a church that my friend invited me to. I had been in church for about a year. And I will never forget that moment. I can see the pews. It was pews back then. I could see the pews. And I knelt at that pew in worship at 17. And God began to call my heart. God began to say, are you going to serve me now? Are you going to surrender to me? And the first part of my flesh was like, don't hear you, God. Because I knew the cost. I wanted to count the cost. I knew that if I was going to make this decision at 17, I was going to make it to serve God for the rest of my life. But the, that worship, that moment of just kneeling down, all these years later, I can still see the room and the lighting. I feel that moment of Jesus knocking on my heart doors. I can go back that, Jesus, if you saved me when I wasn't even looking for you, you can surely save me now. We go back to those moments. I remember carrying the burden of our church. I was 20 years old when we lost our, launched our first church, and I thought everybody loved Jesus. I thought everybody was happy. I thought everybody loved their pastor. I had no idea they don't. I didn't know people had agendas that come into church and talk about the pastor. I didn't know any of that. I just loved people. I was so happy. And ministry just wiped my heart out the first year because of people. And I remember I, I lost my joy of serving. My, my laughter went away. I used to smile all the time. People would say, what's wrong? Oh, no, nothing's wrong with me. I lost that joy of serving and loving God, the opportunity to serve in the kingdom, and it was gone. It was wiped out for me because of people's hurt in my life. And I remember walking one day in the back of a youth worship service. I wasn't even expecting or looking for God. And I remember they were in a worship service at the front of the altar. Presence of God was rich in the room. I didn't even tell anybody who was in there, and I literally crawled under a row of chairs. And I begin to cry out to God in the back row. I'm like, God, I don't feel your joy anymore. I don't feel your peace anymore. I didn't even know what I was carrying, but I was carrying this burden of people's hurt against my family and gossip and all that garbage. And in that moment of worship, God said, I want you to begin to release everyone that comes to your heart. And the Lord would show me a face, someone I saw them gossiping or ran into them and they were mean to me. And I began to release and release and cry, release and cry. And in that moment, I was completely set free in worship. I was able to identify what was going in my heart by just coming in worship. 
And the Holy Spirit knew what was in there. I didn't even know what was stealing my joy away. And I heard the Lord say this. He says, you will never suffer hurt like that again. And I literally thought it meant everyone was always going to love me. <laughs> I'm a lovable person. Why wouldn't they? <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I'm just, I'm, that's probably not true. I'm not always right. But, but it didn't mean that. It meant that when they did try to hurt me, it wouldn't affect me anymore. Because of worship. Worship with God, not an altar call ministry. I'd have never released it at an altar call. I'd have never released it probably in corporate. I, I just not my nature. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. But in that moment of private worship, the Holy Spirit was able to get in that thing. Because he's like, where I want to take you, you still have to love people, Barb. You still got to trust people. You got to love ministry because you're going to be in this thing for a long time, right? But it was that worship. It was a worship to God. Last one I want to share with you is when I was 20 years old and I was called into the ministry. And those who have been here a minute know my story, but um, I told the Lord I'd be set apart and I wouldn't date. I was going to do ministry. He had called me to be single, and I said, cool, God, let's do this thing, you know. Well, um, the, after the first six months, I'm like, I got really lonely. And I'm like, I just want to go on a date. I just want to feel pretty. I want to be romance. And there's nothing wrong with that. Those desires God gave us, didn't he? Like, those are natural. We don't have them. We need to pray for you. You know, so they're, they're desires that we have. But where God was taking me personally, he had to be the one to fulfill all of those desires. And I didn't understand it. I wanted that carnal fulfillment, that carnal satisfaction. And I didn't even know it. It seemed like everywhere I went, somebody had somebody. Can any single people relate to that? You're like, I see couples walking out of church, and I swear I saw little birds. Like just, they're just, wind is blowing. And they're, and they're probably arguing. I can't believe you did that in church. You know I mean? You know, not me. You know, I'm like, oh, they're so happy, the wind. They're just birds, you know. I see couples in the car next to them. Oh, it's so wonderful. You know, they're so happy. And I felt this ache everywhere I looked. I was the only one alone. And I said, God, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to be single. I don't know how to do what you've asked me to do. I have this longing. I didn't even know what the word of God said much. I was only 20 years old in ministry, and God gave me this assignment from him. And I remember going home, and I had my big Bible, and I grabbed that Bible in my room, and I began to worship God. So it was in that moment of worship where I needed to encounter God. He needed to heal something and fill something inside of me that only he could do. But I didn't know that. I didn't know what I needed. I just knew I had to get in worship. And I took that big Bible, and I grabbed it, and I began to worship, and I cried. And I said, God, I don't know how to do this. You asked me to do this thing, and I don't know how to be single. And I heard the Lord say this to me. I felt his presence come in my room. He wrapped his arms around me like this. There's this beautiful presence of God. And I just felt this love, I mean, just fill me up. And the Lord said this to me. He said, I desire to meet your needs according to my riches and glory. And I realized in that moment there was nothing wrong with my desires. And yours may not be loneliness today, but maybe there's something else that feels aching and missing. It's the same scenario. And God says, I want to meet those things first. I have to satisfy and fill those things first. Because if it's you, it will destroy you in the future. It will wear you out. But if you're full of me, you'll have the grace to do what I've called you to do. And as soon as I heard those words, the love of God 
came so deep into my heart and he began to pour down into me. And from that moment forward, I have never ached with loneliness. Now, I've been lonely, but not like something's missing. So when you go into worship, if you feel something is missing, if you're not satisfied in your marriage, you're not satisfied in how you're living or, or with your family, whatever it is, there's something missing that God needs to satisfy you through worship. Because he is the only one that can come into your heart. You know, you can be happy living in a, in a small apartment with your family and have the joy of the Lord because you've got Christ the center of that apartment. You've got love and peace in the center of that apartment. And no, that's not my forever, but thank you, Jesus, that's what I have right now. See, we can look at our life from the empty places or we can look at it from the presence of God. See, I'd rather have this. And my family loving and serving God than a 5,000 square foot home and nobody loves or even thinks about the presence of God. Amen? So God can satisfy you. He can love you. He can fill up those broken places. But we have to be willing to allow him that time and that process. Amen? I'm out of time. I know. Maybe we'll do part two. What do you guys think? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Let's just close your eyes this morning. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to take five minutes. I want you just to let the music minister to you right now. We're going to exercise this moment of worship in his presence. Let his anointing just cover you, love on you, pour over you. If you want to sing, honey, you can sing. We're just going to let the ministry to our hearts today, Father God. If you want to stand, if you want to come to the altar, if you want to kneel, you can just sit. Whatever you want to do, I'm just going to take this moment in the presence of God. Glory to your name, Father. Something that's worth 